One of Swedenborg's most iconic concepts is that there are levels in our minds. These levels allow us to interact with both the material and spiritual worlds at the same time. Today, we set our focus on the middle level and explore the special powers of the rational mind right now inside Off the Left Eye. Hello, Jonathan, Rose, are you in? This is uh, Chelsea Odner here along with Curtis Childs. Hey, John. Welcome, welcome. Come on in. You might have to pick up a few books, but uh, those seats are for you. Can you see the seats? Oh, it's right under here? Yeah. Yes, yes, wonderful. Feels so nice to be in here with the with the AC. It's a hot one out there, but it's good to be in here, ready to be cooled by the cool rivers of spiritual truth flowing from secrets of heaven. Yes. Well, I have three quotations for you on the theme of the differences between the rational mind and the earthly mind. The way Swedenborg describes it, we actually have whole and complete minds, uh, you know, multiple yes. minds on different levels. And this part of Secrets of Heaven just talks a lot about the relationship between these different parts. So that's our, our theme for today. This is number 3368. And this is talking about a biblical command where the people were commanded not to go down to Egypt, uh, but to stay as an immigrant in the land of Gerar, which was farther north. Let me explain the secret behind the command not to go down into Egypt, but to stay as an immigrant in the land of Gerar. That is not to focus on facts, but on rational thinking. All appearances of truth, and I should hit pause for a moment and just say, the, the word appearances can have kind of two different meanings. Mm. One could be that something only appears to be there or seems to be there, but it's not really. But another meaning is almost like a manifestation. That's something, even if it's on a higher level, it manifests on a lower level and you can see it or perceive it there. Oh, okay. And he's talking about that second use, I think, in this conversation about appearances of truth. All appearances of truth containing something divine belong to the rational level, so much so that rational ideas are the same as appearances of truth. Facts, though, belong to the earthly level, so much so that earthly ideas are the same as factual truth. Rational truth, or appearances of truth, can exist and emerge only from an inflow from the divine into the rational dimension and through rational ideas into the facts occupying the earthly dimension. And then he gives this analogy, which was striking to me. The resulting activity on the rational level, so you have activity going on on the rational level, but how does it manifest on that lower level? The resulting activity on the rational level shows up on the earthly level like the image of a busy scene reflected in a mirror. That is how it presents itself to us and also to angels. The earthly image is not as conspicuous to an angel as it is to those in the world of spirits and those on a spiritual earthly level, 
So the latter two groups have truth represented to them. I could say some more about that, but I just want to see what you make of that. Oh, I'm just trying to keep all the pieces straight in my head. I was wondering about the truth, the appearances of truth, and the facts. I sort of found myself thinking about how we need to know things like these, the truth that's flowing in uses the stuff that we know and the, you know, things that we're familiar with to present arrangements of, you know, connections to create these ideas, you know, to create a concept in our mind or something, I guess is what I hear. Does that sound like I'm on the right track? Yes, I I love it. And what it made me think of, if I may say, is uh, Plato's cave. This idea that what we perceive to be reality is just shadows Mm -hmm. on a wall from another reality. It has that same sort of feel, mm-hmm. doesn't it? They, they, that there's, there, there's this busy scene, but you're just seeing it in a mirror, and, and that's how it's reflected. And the other thing that got me about this passage was that, so he's got kind of three tiers here, and it sounds like the top group just have truth in a kind of direct way. Yeah. Almost like what we were talking about last week. But then the two below that don't get it directly. They see it in a mirror. It's represented. And that's what he seems to mean by representation, which is a word he uses Mm -hmm. a lot, that it's you're seeing something reflected. You're just one step away from it because you're on a lower level and you see it in this mirror. It seems like we had a bit of a description of the anatomy of consciousness in the beginning of the quote, that rationality only happens, rationality is an inflow of the, the divine into that level. I, you know, it's, it's general enough that I don't think I could draw a diagram of it, but it struck me as, wow, okay, so consciousness itself is, a, is like a divine thing. Right. Swedenborg writes, elsewhere, and I don't have the reference handy, but it was something I was reading. Um, and a general idea, as you guys will be familiar with, is like the that these levels that he's talking about are distinct from each other. Like they really are discrete, you know, is the word he'll use rather than being continuous. Like if you go far enough down in rationality, you reach earthly. It's like, no, rationality right. stops. The earthly no. level starts. That's right. And he says the same is true for or some somewhere in there, there's I guess maybe it's that higher level of like the divine inflowing even into the rational level and whatever, but that when it comes to communication between the levels, he says it's not continuous. There's not just like a flowing in of communication. It has to use these like jumps, which require these images. Right. And that's what I guess I'm thinking of with these facts and that representation. It's like... Uh, It makes me think of, you know, like the imagery in our dreams, but just how, like, if we just understood that that is that form of heavenly communication, we might not spend so much time worrying about like, oh, I'm never, you know, I haven't ever seen an angel or I haven't had a spiritual experience or this or that. It's like, actually, we've got this direct connection and it's going to be communicating to us like these spiritual inner support systems through through images or something. 
Mm, I like that. It does kind of suggest where a lot of um, the imagery in art of all different kinds, poetry, movies, so on, Yeah, it is working with those symbols or those reflections of a higher reality. I, I just, I like that yeah. image of the mirror. And it seems that Swedenborg enjoyed it too because he came back to it a few times as I was editing in that passage. He, he comes back to that mirror image of the busy scene. Huh. He, he emphasizes every time that it's, that it's busy. There's yeah, a lot going so on interesting. <laughs> on that upper level. And then here you are just sort of observing it from a different angle. Seems a lot like correspondences, the way that the inner rational part of consciousness and the, the higher levels of evolved human beings that are perceiving that directly, and then those of us who are in the see-it-in-the-mirror side of that ledger, yeah. it seems a lot like how spiritual things can be present in physical things through correspondences, but not directly. It's kind of like your rationality can be present in your factual knowledge through this similar kind of system. Mm. Yeah. And thank heavens, because otherwise there would just be a disconnect. Yes. Yeah, and I, in there he said that angels... Angels don't see it as directly. There was some some line in there. Yes, yeah, not in, as conspicuous to angels. Which I think drives mm. home this point that he m tries to make several times, which is that, yeah, there's angels who are more plugged in, but it doesn't mean that it's not good to have people on other levels, that there is something that, for example, yeah. this, the heavenly angels need the spiritual angels for instruction and it seems like the heavenly and spiritual angels need people who are on the outer levels f to to provide certain things so it's cool to see here's a phenomenon that mm. more external people can see that angels can't see as clearly right mm. like it enriches it it enriches the whole f experience to have this outermost level that has those facts or images or whatever these these reflectors <laughs> yeah you gotta have skin. Yes. <laughs> That's great. This next passage is about different kinds of truth on these different levels, in effect. This is number 3175. This is how the case stands. I like it when Swedenborg starts out. Look, look <laughs> listen up. <laughs> Pay attention. <laughs> this is how the case stands. We're never born into any truth not even into any earthly truth. Often when Swedenborg is is writing, I wish he would give examples. This time yeah. he actually provided us with examples. Okay. He says, we're not born even into any earthly truth, such as, see if you recognize these, the idea that we should not steal, not kill, not commit adultery, and so on. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Earthly truth equals Ten Commandments. He goes on, still less are we born into any spiritual truth. Ooh, what is spiritual truth going to be then? Hmm. Such as the idea that there is a God or that we have a deeper part that will live on after death. Interesting. So on our own, we know nothing about eternal life. Earthly and spiritual truth are things we learn. If we did not learn them, we would be much worse than brute animals. 
By heredity, we love ourselves above all others and long to own everything in the world. That's why we need to be restrained by civil laws and the fear of losing our position, wealth, reputation, and life. Otherwise, we would steal, kill, and commit adultery, there's that list again, without the least twinge of conscience. And then he has an interesting argument. So he's saying that truth is kind of a restraint on those behaviors that would otherwise break out. And then here's his argument to support what he's saying. This is obviously the case because even the educated do such things without remorse and, in fact, defend the practice, meaning stealing, killing, and committing adultery, (laughs) offering many justifications for acting that way so far as they can get away with it. What would they refrain from if they hadn't been educated? I got to say that something about what you were first saying was making me think about this in a new way because there's like a a conflict that I see in that like really interesting research uh, has been done that has found that infants, pre-verbal infants can notice when somebody is doing something wrong. Like they do actually identify stealing. Um, you know, like there's like, you know, like doing an oh. experiment of little babies where it's like somebody comes in and takes the other kid's stuffed animal you know, and doesn't give it back or like what, like basically, and, and then the kid refuses to interact with that person who did something wrong. Like sort of, they can recognize this, somebody crossed a boundary and that was not an okay way to behave. So we don't, you know, we're going to sort of shun you, but he's talking about truth. And yet at the same time, he says, you know, like we're all born, you know, like predestined to heaven. We all have this love inside of us. The way that Swedenborg talks about truth and love as being these almost like these two different operating systems inside of us that need to get hooked up eventually, but are like, it just makes me think like that infant couldn't reflect on the fact that it stole, you know, it takes scientists like doing an experiment and saying like, oh, interesting, this kid has this like innate perception of goodness inside of themselves, but that kid couldn't tell you, you know, like it would take a long time for Mm. like even me as an adult to say, oh yeah, that's what was happening back then. You know, so it's there's sort of this mm. cross between like the goodness can be in us and even active in us as children and that's like that innocence and everything. And yet it still needs this connector of of like the true of maybe like using that same word of like a reflector this this other part of our mind that can then perceive that love that's always been in them you know so i've sort of always wrestled with how do those how can those both kind of be true but this is sort of giving me an an insight into that if that's uh making sense really interesting okay callback alert i want to reference the previous show where we were hearing some amazing passages that jonathan picked out that gave us the impression that truth is something that leads to goodness or leads back to love of God. Uh-huh. And Swedenborg's examples that he gave here seem to really drive home that definition of truth. Because when he said even earthly truth, I thought for sure you were going to say things like the fact that the there are 24 hours in a day, the <laughs> right. fact that gravity <laughs> is what makes things fall down. Science. But instead... You, this this would be on nobody else's 
first list of the truth. Yeah. The, the Ten Commandments. Right. But if truth ultimately is defined as the things, the, the knowledge bits that lead you to God, makes total sense for those to be first and foremost. <laughs> knowledge bits that lead you to God. It's good. Knowledge it's true. bits that lead you to God. Truth. Try truth. It's knowledge <laughs> bits that lead you to God. Yeah, there's something intrinsically that that truth seeks behavior change. You know, his examples were stop doing this, you know, to restrain us from the way that our darker nature would manifest left to its own devices. Yeah, that's a difference between facts and truth. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Like what, what will align you with love or understanding what aligns with love and what goes against that divine love. So how many... How many glasses are on my desk right now? You don't know, but I'll tell you. It's two. It should only be one, but I haven't washed the other one yet. <laughs> Is that truth? <laughs> it it exists, but it's not really... I, I was wondering, like, is, is there truth about every object in this room? The truth is that this stand is on the floor and that chair is in the corner. I don't know if that's really truth. I mean, that might those might be facts, but it's not truth. Right, right. Well even going with the last number, right, of like those facts can be reflectors of truth, you know, so you could use the the cup of water and then you could start to get a sense of an appearance of truth through that image. And that would be you connecting to truth because you'd be starting to think spiritually about it. Right. Yeah, that's good. And it, it only becomes truth, though, once you're cobbling these facts together into something that is leading you into a bit of information that leads you to God. Mm. Yes. And last time I checked, Swedenborg seems very fond of this word truth and uses it a lot. <laughs> but I have to admit, I, even in this broadcast, I'm coming to a new understanding of that word. It's fun yeah. that there's so much in that word and it's not, that word doesn't mean what you think it means. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to say, to quote, to quote the Princess Bride. Princess Bride. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> and I've got one more for you. I'm, I'm tempted to ask you to fasten those seat belts again. I did have them installed, and I had them recently okay. checked. They get Click. they get checked. The uh, lights back on. Biannually. Yep, seatbelts. Um, fasten your seatbelt sign. Good. Twenty-eight fifty-one. So here we are. We're talking again about the rational mind and the earthly mind, and he's talking specifically about different avenues, like who else sits around thinking about this stuff, uh, pathways that lead to the rational mind. There are two paths that lead to a person's rational mind, a higher or more inward path that gives access to goodness and truth from the Lord, and a lower or more outward path through which evil and falsity sneak in from mm. hell. <laughs> The rational mind itself lies at the meeting point of the two paths. In the Word, meaning the Bible, this level of the mind is compared to and called a city oh. on account of the goodness and truth present in it. That's the city. It's not just your whole mind. That's, it's that level of your mind. It's that level of the mind. Since it is compared to and called a city, gates are marked out for it. And enemies, evil demons, and spirits are described in many passages as besieging or attacking it. 
angels from the Lord, which is to say the Lord himself, are described as defending it. And then he said something that just blew my mind. I'll, I'll turn another seatbelt laid on for you. Yeah, thank you. Hellish demons and spirits with their evils and falsities cannot go beyond the lower or shallower gate. They never enter the city. Mm. Never. They never, they never enter your city. The city of your <laughs> rational mind, they never... I was surprised when I read this. There's some more to the quote. But I was surprised when I read this because I feel like they're in there making noise 24-7. Right. Right. But he goes on. They, they never enter the city. If they could enter the city, we had some podcasts about this quite a while ago, but this, this connects so beautifully with us. If they could enter the city, our rational mind, that would be the end of us. When they advance far enough that it looks to them as though they've captured the city, oh. it is closed so that goodness and truth can no longer flow into it from heaven. Just a small bit seeps in through cracks mm. all around. So to me, I'm hearing in there about the only, they, they never come in. Yeah. And if they get far enough that that threatens, then it is simply closed. But those, those are the only options, like closed or it's a recipient of goodness and truth. And we had some podcasts a while ago where we realized, no, that's always, that's a good, the rational mind is a good place in yes. everyone. You know, everyone has that good place in there and we're more protected than we thought. Uh, I just love that. I feel like it's a great kind of fantasy world scenario where the city is never actually captured. It just gets this like cloud put over it, you know, or this like, mm thing where right. the city appears to be captured, you know, like appears to be or infiltrated by these demons or something. And then, but sort of the, so much so that even that gate to heaven is closed and it only seeps in, but that it's all an illusion, you know, like that's the punchline. It's just an illusion. And you can start to kind of clear that, clear the, clear the fog and really start understanding the 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 lay of the land you know the the way that nope that that evil threat what appears evil and everything is just in that lowest level and and then you've got this city that you know you can clear that out and and the the love and the truth can start flowing in again mm. if you and if we're making fantasy comparisons in the lord of the rings second book maybe people know it from the movie there's a place that's called helm's deep and oh, yes. in the movie there is this very dramatic scene where there's 10,000 bad guys marching up to it and they are trying to take it over and I thought of that immediately because there's a part of the Helm's Deep that's outside of the mountain and then right. there's a part that's inside like a cave that mm. goes back and I pictured it as the your your mind city has this part like this in the mountain part that if the outer walls get overrun or something and it could seem to the conquerors like hey look at this we're in the we're behind this wall we're kicking our feet up but they're not actually in the the citadel there whatever like yeah. the, somehow those doors close mm -hmm. so it seems to hell that 
because he said it seems to them that they've overrun it. They may think this is it, we overrun it, but they don't know that they just <gasps> overrun some external part and the the real internal part. They they just never find the entrance to. Mm. Ah, that's so I'm great. so moved that that's protected, and it's also so helpful to know. Yeah, that that input that that you hear, you know, the trash talking or whatever form it may take, head bullies and so on is not in the building. You know, that horror movie where it's, oh, it's, you know, this came from inside the, the house or something. Uh, it's not. They're just at the gate. They're just yelling through the gate. Yes. Isn't that why there's so many cities that are under siege in the Bible? Mm-hmm. Because you can go out there and, and cause distress within the city, but... You're not in it. I, I think that's a really powerful image that the city is the rational mind and heaven's coming into it and hell's trying to get into it, that that's what's happening in every person. Of course, yeah. the Bible would be about, would have a ton mm. centered around these cities. And yeah. just thinking now, as I'm saying this, that Jesus saying, I'm going to Jerusalem. I need to get into the city. Man, of course, that's 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 very relevant stuff all up and down the human experience. You could just think of any, you could tell a documentary style story about anybody who ter- went bad or something. You could say this is this is when this idea sort of started to assault the city, and this one, and what's the state yeah. of the city in anyone? I'm telling you, that's that's a very potent concept. Mm. And even yeah, like so, I just think it's like a psychological tool. You know, like it's a real way you can you could start having conversations with people about who feel like it's been, their city's been fully infiltrated and it's like, no, but let's get clear. You know, like how can we tease this out to know those things are just out here. There's, they can project and make you think that they're inside, but they're not. And you know how to open that gate, let the, let the love and wisdom flow in. That's so cool. There's a full city that's not in the least bit, trashed you know it's it's whole and entire and ready to go in in everyone yes isn't that great also like yeah the the sci-fi or like the the fantasy you know i'm thinking of like the movie frozen like how many movies are there where the city or like sleeping beauty even so many fairy tales where the 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 castle the town gets uh you know under siege or, or looks right. degraded and stuff. And then like the magic moment at the end is when it all just magically disappears, you know, cause it all just sort of suddenly gets healed and now flowers are growing and everything. And it's like, <laughs> that's really what happens inside of our minds. It was never actually destroyed. It was all just, it looked that way. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Well, my goodness, I'm going to take, it's going to take me a while to untangle myself from my seatbelt. I was so tightly strapped in, but it was worth it because this was, this was a phenomenal flight, Jonathan. Yeah, thank you. For myself, I think I'll have a little lie down. Yes, it's not nap time. (laughs) May you rest peacefully in your city. I hope your heart was uplifted and your mind inspired by this week's NCE Spotlight. Subscribe to the Inside Off the Left Eye podcast to tap into this stream of fresh insights and join us on our excursions into the historical context of Swedenborg's life and works. All passages quoted in this episode are sneak peeks from upcoming volumes of the New Century Edition translation of Secrets of Heaven. 
If you've benefited from the work of the Swedenborg Foundation through Off the Left Eye and the New Century Edition, consider supporting us with a donation. We are a nonprofit and depend on the support of our donors. To give, go to swedenborg.com slash donate. And thank you for listening.